Well, this morning we're concluding our How to Be a Disciple series. And so just to refresh your memory a little bit, some of the topics that we looked at were the priority of a disciple, the heart of a disciple, the focus of a disciple, the prayer of a disciple, the passion of a disciple, lots of different characteristics. Well, I thought I would wrap up the series by talking about the mystery of discipleship. And here's the reason why. Sometimes we can become so focused on the details of what we should be doing. So we need to be doing this. We need to be praying. We need to make sure our motivation is right. We need to read the scripture. We need to go to meetings that we fail to realize there's a mysterious aspect to discipleship because only God grows disciples. Just like in your garden, you can plant the seeds and you can do a little weeding and you can fertilize but you can't make those seeds germinate and grow into plants. The Bible repeatedly uses that metaphor to say, it's God that causes the growth. He wants to work in us and then through us to accomplish his ends. And I can't think of a better way to talk about the mystery of discipleship than reminding us of the mystery of the one that we follow. Jesus is kind of an enigma. Have you ever noticed that? A little bit of a paradox. He's strong and he's weak. He's great, but he's humble. Lots of different characteristics that we often don't put together come to fruition perfectly in him. Well, we're going to look at three incidents this morning from Mark chapter 11. I think that's page 681 in the Bible in the seat rack. Or you can look on your phone, your iPad, whatever you want to look. And we're going to look at incidents where Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and then the next morning, he goes back to Jerusalem to the temple. Three incidents kind of surrounding those, and they're going to be a little paradoxical, a little strange. All right, they're really weird incidents. But if we can understand them a little better, we can understand who he is and what he came to accomplish. Now, let me remind you, on that first Palm Sunday, probably unlike today, excitement and anticipation filled the city. Everything was at a fever pitch. Not just because Jesus was entering the city. It was a celebration. It was a festival. And people were gathering from all around into Jerusalem. Um, historians tell us that if the population of Jerusalem was normally, say, 50,000, it would not be uncommon at Passover for there to be over 120,000. It's like at a Penn State home game, right? I mean, you've got RVs, you've got campers, you've got throngs of people everywhere. It's a party. You know what it's like when you're anticipating, you're walking into your vacation week, right? Maybe it's at Disney, maybe it's Atlantis, maybe it's Hawaii, maybe it's Ocean City. There's anticipation, right? There's excitement. You can't wait to what's going to happen. That was kind of what it was like. But it was also anxiety. There was tension. There was excitement. There was anticipation. And there was tension. Jesus had said a number of times in the preceding months that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried, convicted, executed, and rise again. The Pharisees were not buying into this anticipation and excitement. They were standing on the sidelines, fearful that the Roman uh, army was going to come down and squash this parade, squash the whole deal. 
And so there's this tension, not quite sure. Is it a positive thing, is it not? Some thought it was great, some thought it was terrible. What's going on? That's what we're gonna look at. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna read the first 26 verses. So you can follow along as I read from Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, say the Lord needs it, and he will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought their colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the, and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. What are pretty strange incidents, right? Well, we're going to kind of look at them in order. First of all, the paradoxical parade. As we said, anticipation and anxiety are at a fever pitch. Jesus enters the city, and he enters the city as a triumphant, victorious king. Now, you got to understand, people are taking off their robes, their cloaks. They're lying them down in front of the donkey. Okay, you don't do that for your family when they show up for Easter dinner, right? You don't do that for your friends you do that for royalty and your pastors. That's who you do it for, right? Um, you take palm branches that symbolize victory and power, right? You get, a branch, you get a palm branch when you win a contest. They're cutting palm branches, putting them down in front of, of the donkey as Jesus rides on it. They're shouting. Oh, here's what they're saying, by the way. They are saying this. Yeah. <laughs> Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, I need to tell you, they didn't make that up. 
they're actually quoting a psalm from the Old Testament. They're quoting Psalm 118. And what they're saying is, Hosanna, Lord, save us. It's kind of a prayer mixed with praise, right? Hosanna, save us, Lord. And you're the victorious one. But not sure you ever noticed this. They don't actually quote the psalm correctly. Like some of you are Bible memory folks, right? And you, you, get, you get demerits if you don't quote it correctly. They're not quoting the psalm correctly. In fact, they hear Psalm 118 and see if you can catch what they added. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord, we bless you. What did they add? They added kingdom and king. You see, all through Mark's gospel, he's been saying, Jesus has been saying, he's the Messiah. Remember, he asked, he asked the disciples, who do, who do people say that? Who do you use? You're the Messiah. You're the king. The people are beginning to believe it. They're saying, yes, you're the king. And as Jesus enters, they take Psalm 118 about the entrance of the victorious one, and they say, this is it. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's, he's bringing the kingdom. And if you were one of the disciples, you were walking with Jesus with your chest puffed out, right? You're going to be in the cabinet. He's the king, and you're going to all be secretaries of something. They thought Jesus was coming as the victorious king, triumphantly riding into Jerusalem to defeat Rome, to take back Israel. And he was going to be the king ruling. But that's only one side of the paradox. What's the other side of the paradox? Uh, look at his mode of transportation. Did you notice that? Um, I'm not sure you ever noticed this, but um, transportation makes a statement, doesn't it? Let, let, let me mention a few modes of transportation for you. Do you know what Roger Federer drives? A Mercedes SLS. Serena Williams, what does she drive? A Bentley. Pat Mahomes, I no booing, no booing. Pat Mahomes, he drives a Ferrari. LeBron, a Lambo. How about George Washington? He rode that white horse. Remember, you see, you've seen those pictures, right? Um, and can I tell you a little of the backstory there? Um, a few years ago, I read a biography of George Washington, and after the Revolutionary War, he would travel from colony to colony, kind of trying to unite these 13 you know, desperate groups, trying to bring them together. And he would travel from colony to colony in a coach. And not like a higgy coach, a coach, right? A stagecoach. Until he was about half a mile outside the city. And then he would climb out of the coach and put on his uniform and he'd climb on top of that big white horse whose name was Prescott, and then he would ride into the city, into the colony's headquarters on Prescott. Yeah, transportation makes a statement, doesn't it? Jesus is riding a donkey. Um, I'm not sure if you understand. Like, horses are big and strong and fast, Donkeys are slow and stubborn and short. 
Now, I have seen pictures of them, uh, you know, kind of in the Grand, I've never been there. They carry the Grand Canyon stuff down. Oh, yeah, donkeys are kind of beasts of burden, right? They have borne the burdens of human beings forever, it seems like. Hmm. Transportation makes a statement, doesn't it? Jesus does not ride into Jerusalem on a military horse of victory to wage war. He rides on the back of a little donkey beast of burden. And the donkey's burden is bearing the burdens of the world. Transportation makes a statement, doesn't it? Jesus enters Jerusalem as the one who bears the burdens of the world. He bore your burdens, my burdens. And that wasn't coincidental either. That was predicted long before. In fact, one of the minor prophets called Zechariah says it like this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Strange, isn't it? The king of kings, the servant bearing the burdens of the world. A paradox, strangeness, as he enters Jerusalem. Transportation says a lot. The shouts of the crowd tell the rest of the story. Well, how about the next incident? Early the next morning, you know, Jesus goes to the temple that day, that Sunday afternoon, and it was getting kind of late, so he went back to Bethany. And when he gets back to Bethany, he probably spent the night there with um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who, who he raised from the Imagine what they talked about at night. Lazarus back from the dead, sitting around the table, having a conversation. Next morning, Jesus is up, going back to Jerusalem. And on his way, he sees a fig tree. And I have to tell you right up front, Jesus doesn't look too good in this incident, right? And, and until you understand what it means. Uh, I'll, I'll just paraphrase what Mark said. Jesus is hungry. I guess they didn't serve breakfast at Mary and Martha's house. He's hungry. He sees a fig tree in leaf, goes over to pick, oh yeah, but it's not the season of figs. Fig. It's not, the, there's no figs for Jesus to eat because it's not fig season. He then curses the fig tree. The next morning, the fig tree's dead. It's the only miracle Jesus does where he judges something and condemns something. Only one. What the heck's going on with that? Um, that fig tree incident is really not about the fig tree. That incident is a parable. You see... Uh, Carlos started this series, and that was one of the things he mentioned all the way back in January. And he mentioned that the fig tree in Mark 11 is one of Mark's sandwiches. So a sandwich, you know, has a piece of bread, some good stuff on the inside, another piece of bread. Uh, well, the temple incident in Mark 11 is in between the fig tree incident. And so the fig tree doesn't die right away. The fig tree's dead the next day. In between the fig tree stuff, you get the temple stuff. Yeah, Mark's telling us, he's showing us as clear as he can, this isn't about the fig tree. 
This is a parable about the temple. Now, let me give you a horticulture. It's ironic, right? A city boy giving you a horticulture lesson for those of you who live here in the woods. All right, here we go. At this time of year, and at that time of year, um, things would begin to grow. And here's how things grow. You plant a seed, and eventually it germinates and pops out of the soil, and then you, you get leaves. But the leaves aren't the fruit, right? The leaves grow a little bit. The plant gets bigger. Suppose it's a tomato plant. Eventually, I think you get those little yellow flowers, uh, but you don't, don't eat them yet. Uh, the leaves grow. The little flowers grow. And eventually, where the flower is, is where you'll get fruit. But the leaves are not the fruit. The leaves announce the fruit's coming. The leaves are kind of like the sign saying, hey, fruit's on the way, but the leaves are not the fruit. Uh, let me explain it this way. I don't know about horticulture. Um, we have Good Friday Easter cards, two different sides, remember? <laughs> we have a Good Friday service this Friday. Don't miss it. We have Easter service next Sunday morning, too. And uh, you can pick one of these up today. In fact, you could have the last couple of weeks. And we still have some left when you leave today. Please pick one up. Take it. Don't just use it to remind yourself. Pass it along to somebody. Because next Sunday morning, these will not be there. Why won't they be there? Well, because these cards announce a Good Friday and Easter service, but once the services arrive, you don't need the announcement cards. Once the king servant arrives, you don't need the announcement cards. Once the Messiah is on the scene, you don't need all the signposts that are pointing to him because he has arrived. All of the activity of the temple, all that was going on there was nothing more than an announcement. Something greater is on the way. The announcement card isn't the service. It's saying, hey, something great's happening next week. The temple was all about the something greater is on the way. Well, the something greater just wrote into Jerusalem. You don't need the announcement card anymore. But you know, there's kind of a, an application in that for me. It kind of goes like this. Activity and fruitfulness are not the same thing. You ever notice, um, I'm not sure if you're wired, I'm wired like this, if I'm not quite sure what I should do, I just start doing stuff. Um, thinking that, well, since I don't know what to do, I'll just do something. And in feeling busy, I feel like I'm a, no, busyness is an, activity is an accomplishment, right? Um, lots of activity in the temple, Lots of activity at Calvary Church. Activity and fruitfulness are not the same thing. It was pretty easy for the religious leaders. You read through the Old Testament and you see it in the, in the temple that we're going to look at in just a minute. Oh, the activity almost became an end rather than the means to the end. It wasn't about the priest and the sacrifices and the temple. And the, they were all, they were announcements. But somehow the announcement card became the event. 
And Jesus uses a fig tree to proclaim once again. Activity and fruitfulness are two different things. Announcement cards and the actual event are two different things. The temple, the fig tree, Jesus' death, resurrection are two different things. Don't make the means the end. Signposts and announcement cards are different than the main event. Well, that brings us to the temple then. Jesus terminates the temple. Now, I know you've probably heard, and I've read enough to say, what Jesus is trying to do when he goes to the temple, he's trying to clean up their worship. He's trying to say, this is how you should do it. Do it this way, and don't do it. Jesus came to the temple to shut it down. Just like he closed down the function of the fig tree, he later goes to the temple and says, the end. The purpose of the temple is now complete. He came to close the doors, stop the sacrifices, and what he did for just a couple of, think of what he did. He shuts down the sacrifice. They can't do sacrifices because he's throwing furniture and stuff, right? He stops the work of the temple. What he does temporarily is a metaphor that he's doing it permanently. Remember, they were all announcement cards. They're all pointers to what he came to do. Well, now that he's here, there's no need for the picture. The announcement card's work is now complete. He shuts it down. Now, let me explain a, a little bit what happens at the temple. And if you, ever, uh, if you ever need a pat, when somebody says, oh, I, somebody who may not be a follower of Jesus, may not know the whole story, they, they say things like, oh, Jesus is so nice and so loving and so kind. He's the nicest person ever. Um, I, want, I follow Jesus, the good teacher. Let me tell you something. Jesus will never win the best teacher of the, of the year award. Look what he does when he gets to the temple. He throws coins. He makes a whip. He throws furniture. That would make middle schoolers come back to church if we started doing that, right? Let's get red face, veins sticking out of your neck, throwing furniture around. That's what Jesus does. He goes to the, and he does all of that. Now, sometimes, oh, see, they're doing it wrong. If they would only, that's not what's going on. Here's what's going on. It wasn't what they were doing. They had to be doing what they were doing. Jews at this point had spread around a large part of the world. They had to come back to Jerusalem. Certain times of the year, Passover was one of them. Well, you couldn't bring your lamb from Spain to make the trip all the way around the Mediterranean to get to Jerusalem. The poor little thing wouldn't make it, right? So what would you do? You'd take your lamb in Spain to what, whoever would buy it, and you get the money. Sell your lamb, get the money. Go to Jerusalem. Now you got Spanish money. You take the Spanish money into the temple area, you exchange the currency. They make it Jewish currency, and then you buy a lamb. So in a sense, it's your lamb, but you traded your lamb in Spain, got the money. Now you take the money, you buy another lamb in Jerusalem. That had to happen. Nothing wrong with that. It's where it happened. You know where that was going on? Jesus walks into the temple and immediately runs into you know, the stock exchange floor here as people are arguing and raising things and buying this and selling that and lambs are running. And 
They're doing all that in the court of the Gentiles. You see, um, God in his grace designed the temple so that even Gentiles, non-Jews, could go to the temple. Now, they couldn't go all the way in, right? They had to kind of stay in the, you know, in the exurbs of the temple. Uh, but out there, they would see the people come in with the lambs, with their sacrifices. They would hear what's going on. They'd hear the prayers. They'd hear the singing. Um, they would experience the drama of worship. And they could hear and see what... It's not what they were doing, it's where they're doing it. If all of that's happening in the court of the Gentiles, how in the world are the Gentiles supposed to be processing, reflecting on, meditating on the drama that's taking place? And what was the drama? Here's the drama. You should be thankful we don't do this at church each week. Here was the drama of worship. You'd bring your lamb either the one you purchased outside or the one you brought from your flock, and you'd bring it with you to church. Some of you are smiling. You like that idea. The story goes downhill from there. You bring your lamb, and you approach a priest. And you lift your lamb onto the table in front of the priest. And you place your hands on the head of the lamb as you pray and confess your sin. And symbolically, not real, and symbolically, your sin is transferred to the unblemished, innocent lamb. You say amen, step back. And the priest takes a knife and slits the throat of that lamb. And you stand and listen and see and smell that unblemished, innocent lamb die in your place. And when that lamb's dead, the priest says to you, you are now forgiven. Your sin has been atoned for. And the little lamb you brought breathed its last at the altar. And you go home pronounced not guilty by the priest. You've been absolved. Now, how in the world... Is someone supposed to process that drama if you got lambs running around and coins are being changed and people are arguing over the price of this and that? It wasn't what they were doing. It's where that shouldn't have been done in the court of the Gentiles. It should have been done somewhere else, right? Set up, you know, the little booths outside. Don't bring them in there. And so Jesus, what does he say? My, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer, even for the Gentiles, even for the Gentiles. He wants them to see the drama. What does Jesus do in the temple he turns over the tables, the lambs are running, he makes a whip to throw everybody out, and he shuts it down. The purpose of the temple is finished. The drama is no longer needed because the ultimate Lamb of God has arrived. That's what's going on. 
Jesus wasn't there to reform their worship. He was there to shut the temple down. Because the ultimate priest, the only true sacrifice, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God, has now arrived. That's what's going on. Temple no longer needed. Announcement cards no longer needed. The crucifixion and resurrection are ready to happen. That puts a slightly different spin on three weird events, isn't it? The fig tree is just a parable explaining what happens in the inner part, the middle of the sandwich, as Jesus shuts down the temple. So Jesus, the King of Kings, rides triumphantly into Jerusalem on a beast of burden as he bears the burden of the world, our burdens. And as he does, he demonstrates a parable that the purpose of the whole system is now complete. It was there to announce what he was going to do, and he's there now to do it. I don't want to end with that, though. Some of you think, oh, Charles, please end. Um, you know, the Bible um, mentions that Jesus will Get on another mode of transportation. And remember, transportation makes a statement. And that triumphant King of Kings and Lord of Lords will ride again. But make no mistake, this second ride won't be on a slow stubborn, lowly beast of burden. It'll be a little different. And I need to tell you, if you don't know it already, it's disconcerting and frustrating to live between these two rides. Because we look back on that Palm Sunday ride, and in a couple days we're going to remember Good Friday, and we're going to celebrate... And then mon next Monday, we're going to go back to work and we're, we're going to live with the same heartache and the same brokenness and the same misery that we had before. But there's another ride. And I'm going to ask you to st stand as I read this one. Would you stand? I'm going to read from Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. And I'm going to tell myself as I'm saying to you, when the frustrations begin to mount and you look back and say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you did all this, but my life is wretched. Remember we sang earlier? He's not done yet. Listen to this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, 
white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we want to be uh, celebrative as we think of Palm Sunday, and we want to rejoice as family gathers next week for Easter. And yet, Lord, if we're going to be honest, we realize our lives are filled with frustration and misery, brokenness and pain. It's hard to live between the two rides. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look back when Jesus shut down the work of the temple because he, the Lamb of God, has arrived. And we look forward in hope to the day when he'll ride again, not on a slow beast of burden, but on a white stallion to bring victory forever. Thanks for including us in that story. We pray in his name. Amen.